Welcome, 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 listeners. Uh, once again, we convene in the subterranean bunkers of cinematic justice where we will discuss and trawl through slights against cinema, things that needed to be called to your attention and uh, people that need to pay, and also just in general opining about all things cinematic. And today I am joined by, uh, well, compatriots, Damo. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Long time no see. And uh, joining us today is Mark Alexander. Mark. Hello, Jared. How are you? Hello, Damo. Hello. Thank you so much for having me around. Pleasure. Pleasure. We're here in the bunker and uh, you know, generally I come here to cry sometimes and drink whiskey. Say slowly to myself, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death. Is that, that why brings... you're in the fetal position when we arrived? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. Don't you know that? Today, we've actually got a couple of things to discuss. When I say a couple of things, I think it's going to be a general mishmash of... Uh, topics so yes. let's just let it flow like a river of effluent <laughs> or affluence whatever you want to call it let's go with affluence yeah, it's a little better <laughs> it's a river of affluence yes um that's a river you'd want to be in as opposed to effluent but anyway that was a different weekend i had so um guys i actually have a couple of news items i've got a feeling this is going to overlap because you guys have probably been talking about the same news things this week that i have we have, we have seen each other a bit this week, yes. yes and, uh, well, uh, for me, uh, the first thing was this kind of... I, I do think this is the, what happened with the Gone with the Wind being pulled off HBO Max and the people's reactions to it and the media coverage of it. Was, everyone went insane. Yeah, they, they did. I, I, was it we... <sighs> Sorry. That's all right. I was going to talk about something that I don't want to talk oh, about. Oh, you can, you, can, uh, you can edit names, redact names. You can just say... Me and Redacted were talking about... Yes, well, it was like Disney Plus play a warning with their stuff that's... That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the side of the fence that I'm on, which is... Well, I kind uh, of think if you're watching context. something like Gone with the Wind, which is, what, 81 years old now? 80 plus, for sure. It, well, 1939, yeah. so... Yeah. Um, that's Wizard you, of Oz you, and Gone with the Wind, yeah. You kind of watch it with historical glasses on, surely. Mm. If you don't... You're going to be insulted. You're going to be insulted. I, I, I mean, you're still going to be because it's a <clears> bit, uh, parts of it are quite, like Hattie McDaniel, mm. McDonald, Hattie McDaniel. McDaniel. Yeah, yeah. That her role is not, like she's great. Mm. She won an Oscar, I think. Yeah. And she wasn't allowed to sit with the rest of the cast. It was all kind but of a it's not a audience. It's not a good role for her, mm. but she's good in it. Yeah. So there's like, pull it from TV, mm. but. I don't see the point. Yeah, I, I, well, I should say, full disclosure, I, I kind of don't like Gone with the Wind. I mean, it, it's, I can, ex Zanuck as a producer and the sheer force of will that he brought to bear on that film, it had several directors. I don't know if you know mm. about, mm. Like, yeah, I, I think George, George Cukor started off as the original and uh, he rolled on through a couple. I think it was, it was a generally uh, stressful production. But yeah, I'm on the side of the fence with, Context. There's no point. Yeah, yeah. Just saying Absolutely. that's bad, and it's got bad politics in it. So we're just going to erase it from history. You know, have a little header that explains that and allow people to watch it. But um, look, isn't it also important just to keep these things because they were made at the time? Like yeah, this is the views you, of when it was made. Then, so we can, we can look at it through the glasses. Pulls there. Chris Lilly, and that oh, stuff's yeah. only ten, fifteen years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a couple of things going on there. You know. Uh, there's a few factors. One, Chris, Chris Lilly is about as funny, funny as a burning orphanage. 
and uh, that's just an opinion. No, I... <laughs> Other opinions are available. I don't like him, but I wouldn't have used yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I actually have a few others that are probably yeah. not worth putting on any recording. I don't like Chris Lilly. I accept that he's a talented performer. Yeah. He can embody characters in a clever way. When I got off the Chris Lilly train, I think I was saying that a second ago before I drifted off topic, Angry Boys, where he was fully blacked up and playing a black character, which just seems really tone deaf. You made an interesting point before, which I actually thought about this morning because I played it in the news, is that, mm. you know, yes, we look back at it now, and even at the time, and you're like, well, okay, that's a little bit on the nose. But he won like a lot of awards for it. Yeah. Like the whole country right. got behind and he won awards and got up and accepted it. And I saw clips of him this morning accepted it and, uh, accepting his awards and then mm. looked back and it went, was everyone just okay with it back then? Like, it's just, I think it's weird. Mm. But do you think there's potential to use these things as educational? So you, you look at Gone with the Wind. It was yeah. made in 1939 and different, different sensibilities of society. But then Chris Lilly's stuff is not that old. No. no. And he's what not to do. Yeah. It, it shows how rapidly uh, societal norms change yeah. like, or are changing because I think we, we've gone for a huge period. And and, and also, full disclosure, we're three white dudes yeah. making these comments. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. We're not necessarily the right or qualified, mm. essentially, but we do have, mm. well, a, a moral compass. Yeah. So gives us some element of... Some ability to be able to speak to it. The other one that's thrown into that mix with Tropic Thunder, and that's not that old either. Tropic Thunder, uh, well, Downey Jr. talked on a podcast about this um, with Joe Rogan, actually, and he talked about doing that role. But the fact that... Well, they touch on it in the movie. That's right. And that's the key difference. It's like he's an insensitive actor in the movie. Yeah blacking up or having surgery yep. to play a role because he's so oblivious and he's so completely arrogant he doesn't realise how racist it is. And yeah. there's another black character, Al Pacino, I think his name is, Alpa Chino that's is the right. name of the char- character. And uh, Brendan Jackson, I think the name of the actor is, and he continually points out to Robert Downey Jr., you're an, you're an arrogant knob. Yeah. And, um, so there's, that's the difference, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, and that raises such an interesting question is that, you know, it's just blackface is just not okay. But now that they're pulling things like Little Britain and yeah. Summer Heights High, and now we're in the discussion with Tropic Thunder, is now the discussion going to get further that like how was the blackface portrayed? Like, mm. is it is it is it, was it blatantly in your face? Like, for instance, in Summer Heights High, or perhaps like in Tropic Thunder, where it was a little bit, you know, in on the joke. Like, are we just is it all just that's it? Everything goes no matter what sort of context it's portrayed in. Yes. Yeah. I think I think that it, it, this is exactly like after nine eleven. US networks went through all their sitcoms with a fine-tooth comb and famously episodes of Friends were recut because they featured skylines that had the twin towers yeah. as if as if people don't remember the fact that they were blown up and collapsed mm. they have to act like it never happened and it's this kind of knee-jerk corporate reaction it's the sort of corporations wanting to you know score their um woke credits but you just show how woke they are reactionary yeah and that's what a lot of this stuff is yeah they react to something instead of having to react why aren't we doing it properly in the first place? that's right and why react in a such a knee-jerk kind of slapdash manner well, as opposed to doing something constructive and actually making a difference there's an episode of faulty towers being pulled from mm. uk tv or whatever it is yep there's two different arguments. There's sort of, yeah. it's the, we've got to, we can edit this to make it more palatable to a modern audience, or we can just leave it as is, untouched, and actually just accept that 
progression has happened and how are you going to chart your progression if you don't actually have sort of, oh, yeah, back then people were really yeah. racist. It's like it's context. Without it, no one, but no one kind of learns anything. Um, no one's really aware of what people were like back and then. And that's part of cinema and television is, yeah. is the chance to learn. Mm. Well, that's, that's coming back to the Tropic Thunder argument. Yeah. It's like either you go, we do, we do the lot and we eliminate yeah. over half of, half of everything that's ever been created mm. or we just... But then essentially yeah. anything pre sort of 19 or even 1950s, yeah. Yeah. there'd be a shit ton of things that yeah. we have to get yeah. rid of. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It doesn't, where does it stop? Because ostensibly that. you have to accept that in an America, for example, if we're talking about Hollywood films, in an America that had the Jim Crow laws, anything in that period is made, well, not necessarily, you can't be too 100% about it, but you know, demonstrably is made by people who are either accepting of or believe in the ideals that like, of racism. Mm. You know, no one was none of Hollywood. No one, no one in Hollywood was jumping up and down in the 30s and 40s about uh, equal rights for um, African Americans. So therefore, you could make the argument that they're they're racist. So we none of their work is worth considering. And it's it's really weird. It's a strange um, it's a strange way to look back on our on our past, especially in Australia, which I would wager is as bad, if not worse. But at least it's also, there's a conversation happening. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. I watched Robocop last night and uh, I was thinking... The original. The original and... Uh, and the best. And the best. The and only really. The only yes. decent one because <laughs> all the rest of it garbage. I mean, the second one, Irving Kirshner did direct it, um, director of Empire Strikes Back, yeah. but it had a couple of things in it that I liked, but that film was so ridiculously dark and didn't make any sense really the plot was terrible but it had some good aspects i quite like the stop motion on kane that big uh, robot with the bad guy's brain in it but one thing i noticed about the original robocop is it's really diverse i was watching it in the boardroom scene i'm like is it me or is there a lot of black actors and there's women in there it's like well this is a really diverse cast film but it is a good film. You can rewatch that one over and over again. Because yeah. back when it came out first, we had a kind of slightly truncated version released in Australia. Now, is that why it was rated M? Because when I was a little kid, yeah. I was at my local Westfield, or back then it wasn't a Westfield, it was just a shopping mall. Mm. And there was a guy dressed as Robocop with bad acne walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. He had a proper outfit, like, because I, I knocked on it. And it, it was like aluminium. It was, a, and it had the rub, black rubber underneath. It was a proper outfit, but he had really bad acne. It just looked like some high schooler that they'd dressed up. But he he was handing out tickets to kids, and I'm thinking, is isn't this film rated R? Yeah. And um, but they had M uh, yeah. rating on the flyers. I, I had the laser disc brought in back in the day from America mm. with the full unrated well, I, version. Yeah, I always remember when I was growing up and, and watching it and loving it, I remember uh, being confused having watching at some point two versions and I'll just use the example of the famous Ed 209 scene in the, in the boardroom. You get shot for like <laughs> over a minute, I think. Yes, but then it, go, it does go on. But then I've also think I've seen definitely seen a version where that scene, you know, you just get shot two or three times, and mm. then there's kind of like an awkward cut 
to him yes. falling out the window. There's so a couple maybe, of cuts. May, is, yeah. that the, is that the difference there? Are we, are we looking at the is that? And I think when they, when they Peter Weller mm. originally, it was Peter Weller? Gets yeah. shot yeah. right at the beginning. Mm. I think that's more graphic. That goes on and on and it's, on because that's his uh, yeah. Verhoeven's crucifixion, and of uh, the, because it's a huge Christ metaphor for Verhoeven, which is quite hilarious. I think that's part of what makes the film what it is. But that, I also love about Verhoeven that there's moments where you're like, I, th- I feel like I'm being subjected to somebody's really weird, exploitative uh, sort of id. <laughs> and, and he's kind of overwhelming me with it. It's like there's violent scenes going on way too long. Or uh, if you're watching Showgirls, this this scene of nudity and exploitation is yeah. going on way too long and now I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel a bit uncomfortable well, like having a shower. Well, it's you know? the same with Total Recall, same with Starship Troopers. Yes. They're, they're very, very violent movies. <laughs> Starship oh, Troopers is yes. fun. But Starship Troopers is fun. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. In Total Recall, there's some What's that, 87? Something like that? See you at the party, Richter. Richter. You know, the uh, arms being sliced off. Total Recall was 89, I think. And... Um, Oh, 1990, yeah. I think. Oh, and because uh, I was at school when it came out. And speaking of Laserdisc, so that's the same place that also um, brought me in the US version of Mad Max, which uh, was US dubbed. And watching that film with that. the US dubbed audio is mm. painful. Mm. Anyway, digression. Yeah, Americans can't read subtitles, can't understand. So access. which version you watch? You watch a shiny new remaster with... It was a shiny new remaster, and it's um, it was very pristine, very enjoyable. I did t- take a lot of pleasure in the um, the sort of eightiesness of it. There's also a great sequence um, that always makes me giggle in a nightclub, and it's when uh, Ray Wise, also known as uh, Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks, and uh, he is one of the gang members, and, he, and Robocop goes to the nightclub to arrest him, and he kicks Robocop in the nuts. He doesn't have any nuts, and he breaks his foot and screams. <laughs> and then Robocop <laughs> grabs him by the hair, and as he's dragging him out, it cuts to Paul Verhoeven in this frenzied uh, Oh, yes, he's one of the dancers. Going like this yeah. <laughs> and screaming at the camera, and it's like... Yep. If you've ever seen any photos of him directing, that's also how he directs. <laughs> that's and what it's like on set. Yeah. He just wails and screams at people. But uh, and he also seems to have something for uh, mixed changing rooms. Have you noticed this? It's in, uh, uh, in Starship Star Troopers, Troopers as well. and Robocop. The cops are all in one big uh, locker room. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's something. Yeah, he, he is self-indulgent, like all the great filmmakers, but I find there's an intellectual level his films operate on that's a little bit interesting as opposed to just a run-of-the-mill nuts and bolts no, well, action director. Uh, he, I mean, Robocop was, I think, pretty pretty ahead for its time, even though oh, it was yeah. the mid-80s. And then, you know, it sort of like paved the way because he, he then does that again in Starship Troopers where yes. he, he cuts in between the story with, with news articles. Yeah, Or news propaganda. It happens in Robocop yes. as well. Obviously, it's very famous in Starship Troopers, but we always remember that it also, he also does it in Robocop, I think it's the first five or six minutes of the movie is essentially mm. just um, you know, commercial television setting the scene, which I always thought was very, very clever. He hasn't done much of late. I'm just oh, well, he did, uh, he did Black Book, which featured... But that's 2006. Uh, yeah. Um, what's the, the Red Witch from Game of Thrones? Karis Houghton, I think her name is. And she... That was a film about resist, the Dutch resistance in the Second World War. Karis Van Houghton. Karis Van Houghton, yeah. also known as Mrs. Guy Pearce. And that film was actually terrific. It's a really, really good film. Dutch language, but it's really worth checking out. I think it's called Zwartboek or something, okay. but Black Book. And he did L, 
with Isabelle Huppert. That's that the was, last thing he's done. That was the last thing he's done. I think he's doing about to shoot another film with a female lead as well. Okay. So yeah, but it, it, he's such an interesting filmmaker. Yeah, I don't know. He's had yeah. He's had basic a big instinct disease as well. You forget about that. Basic one. instinct. Yeah. He, he calls instinct. Uh, Total Recall and Robocop, his American Psychosis trilogy. And I love that because his feeling as a director that is was that the American audience, like as a, on mass, it was and still is un- undergoing a kind of a psychosis, a mass psychosis as a society that is kind of preoccupied with sex and violence, which is why he pushes it to such extremes. Mm. Uh, he kind of has a point because they were yeah. hugely successful, yeah. and um, especially Basic Instinct and, and RoboCop, like they with the, where you've got the sex angle and and violence. They, but RoboCop was eighty seven. Total Recall was ninety. Yeah, Basic Instinct ninety two. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that Hollywood have tried to remake both yep. RoboCop and Total Recall and yeah. failed miserably on both fronts. Like they're two you know movies that now hold up with the original yes. always being the better and only addition. And I think that's down to what we're talking about, which is it's not how they were made or what they know, what they look like, what the production design was like, what the effects were like and how they were shot. It's why. Yeah. So it's what the filmmaker saw in the film that made them want it or the script that made them want to shoot it and what they sort of imbue it with. And I think all those great films, and John McTiernan is another great example. He always, why do we always talk about John McTiernan? He's good. He's awesome. He's awesome. I mean, the man made Red October, Predator, and Die Hard within only, a five-year period. I, I only mean, watch Hunt for Red October. Uh, I sat my wife down and and, and watched. I just forget how mm. much how amazing that movie is. It's, it's awesome. I, I so still remember good. seeing it at cinema. Oh. I, I, that when the submarine shoots out of, uh, I keep every time we talk John McTiernan, and I tell that John story. Submarines sput, out of the water. Yeah. And, fuck, it was good. One ping only. <laughs> <laughs> cinema. I'm missing the movies. Yeah. 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 What's the cinema? I don't know. What you're yeah. Talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, the, probably the Bond will be memory. next. Bond, yeah, or Hopefully Tenet. still at it. Six, oh, you mentioned Tenet. that to me. Yes. Yeah, Tenet will be will be next. That Chris Nolan, I think he wants people to come back to the cinema. And unless he's actually going to give out free money with the tickets, I don't know how you're going to get people to go back to the cinema, not in the way uh, they did previously. Uh, I'll go. I will happily go to the cinema. Take yeah, my wipes and my spray. I, I feel like Nolan still... Fly sprays. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I feel like Nolan still now... I have only... a urine spray. I just spray it on other people. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> He's the only one, you know, we talked about the, the Robocop and Total Recall remakes. They were sort of laced with CG because yes. apparently CG was going to make them better, mm. but the originals are still better. You know, yep. I read an article that said that Nolan tries his very, very hardest in all of his movies to try and make it as un-CG as possible. Yes. You know, I feel like he's one of the only ones still left over that's kind of hanging on to that old school form of filmmaking where, no, you don't need to have these big, long battle, elongated CG fight sequences at the end. You can still make good movies by just, you know, doing it in camera. Yeah, that's right. Having a good script. <laughs> yep. Spectacle. You can't, you can't, I mean, for him, I know for a fact he's a huge Bond fan and he wanted to make a Bond film, but where he wants, when he makes a Bond film, he wants it to be a clean slate. So I, I, my personal feeling is with Chris Nolan is watch the space because once uh, Daniel Craig's done with it, I would not be surprised. I mean, they would be insane not to ask him to do it. Inception Chris is Nolan. just a Chris Nolan yeah. Bond film. It even has the you know the all all too familiar uh, 
skiing on snow with machine guns, this sort of Spy Who Loved Me um, finale, although uh, not the finale of Spy Who Loved Me, but the end of Inception, like the beginning yeah. of Spy Who Loved Me, yeah. uh, with the Union Jack parachute. I don't, I mean, it's not like a 100% lock. It's just I read an interview with him and he said, he ha- yes, he would be interested, but it would have to be an, a, a reinvention of the character. So it would need to be the first film, like a Casino Royale yep. reboot style. For a new the, bond, the broccoli's going to let that happen. I think they'd be flat out insane to say no. Like Chris, it would be the biggest Bond film. I mean, Skyfall, which um, controversially I did not like, um, and I've got a few reasons. Boo. For that. <clears throat> I do. I say yeah. this to a few people. Everyone has the the right to be wrong. Mm. Three times a day. That's your first, Jared. <laughs> yeah. Strike now, one. I don't like Daniel Craig as Bond, and my oh, feeling is Daniel Craig is is. <laughs> He is. Uh, oh, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Um, uh, what? The, well, put down the knife. Put down the knife. Um, no, he he's a great actor, and I don't dispute that. He is a terrific actor in many other films. But as Bond, I don't like. We've got Bourne. Um, I don't need a kind of brutal. I'll resort to fisticuffs at the drop of a hat. I want my Bond to be arched eyebrows with a martini escapist i want the villains to be in hollowed out volcanoes i want the guards to be bikini clad women with machine guns there's something about the escapism and i think they've lost it completely with bond films and i think they every film of those the new daniel craig uh kind of every cab off that rank is flawed and casino royale was enjoyable to a point. Like it, it was an enjoyable film. Uh, Martin Campbell is a good, good filmmaker. He's solid sort of. I like how they got him to 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 uh, to reinvent Bond twice because yes. he also reinvented it with Goldeneye, and then that's right. They, and that's and then they favorite. ran out of they ran out of steam, and then five years later they got him to do it again yep. with Casino Royale. He's a great action director. He's really really good, and he he did that because he did Casino Royale, and then the follow up Qantas of Sausage um, <laughs> is just. That is just a turd. Of it a is film. a turd. It is so a series bad. of action set pieces strung but together because they shot it during a writer strike, strike and they couldn't yeah, add or okay. change the script, add to yeah. or change it. And then I think I've seen it. Like you know, I saw it that once, and then two or three times after. I still have no mm. idea what it's about. Yep. Like I don't. If you ask me to tell you the it's plot, not no, I couldn't tell the you. The plot's so muddled, and although it's beautifully shot, Mark Forster. He directed Qantas of Sausage and then the, th- the one after that, Skyfall, Sam Mendes. See, that's the thing. Skyfall, for me, I had no investment in it at all. I found it really uh, but hollow. Judy Dench. Yeah, um, the Dench, the Denchmeister. I don't really connect with it in any way. Uh, the, as soon as I saw that Aston See, Martin, I'm like, hang on. You wanted to be a bit more Hank Scorpio. <laughs> From the Simpsons. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, with Albert Brooks. I want yeah. Albert Brooks to play a Bond villain. Then yeah. I'd be interested. As soon as I saw that Aston Martin, it just muddied things. I know loads of people loved that as a nod to the character, but I'm like, hang on, you're breaking the... It's not even a fourth wall. It's like the ceiling. But you're breaking this sort of perception of Bond as a human in this time, in this time setting, in this and, and in the story, and you're basically acknowledging that he's an 80, 90-year-old character and it's like hang hang on if this is supposed to be the anyway it just bugs me I think me. he's looking for some realism in a Bond mm. film yeah right? I'm not so no I'm not looking for to j- justify James Bond's <laughs> chronological timeline for I'm not little. yeah I'm, no it's not that I'm looking for internal logic in my, in <laughs> oh. my story and once they pissed that away against the wall and it turned into Home Alone at the end I just felt <laughs> one 
<laughs> One, I don't give a... That's fucking I good. Just, good. It, it was, it was. It was like, oh, well, one, I don't give a fuck who his parents were or how, how he feels about his childhood. I don't give a shit. And no Bond film before that has, right? And that's key. You don't... He's a shark and he moves forward constantly. If you turn him into a character where he's, he's sort of maudlin and, you know, thinking back on his difficult life where he was had these distant and cold remote parents and he was raised by the man who looked after the grounds and tended to the house and it was like a like an uh, basically it, it was like, batman begins yeah, to alfred say, it raised sounds like him. he's batman yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's for what i felt and then turned to home alone where he's planting bombs and, which let's face it uh, also last blood the the recent rambo film which was fucking god awful was home alone as well where he just rigged his entire <laughs> ranch with explosives and waited for cartel baddies to come but Again, I that's I want to Skyfall. see that. Skyfall, <laughs> I should not. I, I should go on to say I sh- I'm not disparaging the film itself, like the way it was craftsmanship. Beautiful, like Sam mm. Mendes is a fantastic yeah, filmmaker. Road to Perdition is my favorite of his films, but I, uh, you know, the Deeks, uh, Roger Deakins, amazing cinematographer. But I just it didn't get me. It's, um, I don't even have to say Spectre. I think most people would agree it's a pretty lame duck when it comes comes to sequels. Yeah, I think it hit the it, it just missed the mark. I think completely. Yeah, Christoph Waltz. Uh, Chris, <clears throat> yeah, Christoph Waltz is um, Blofeld. It just for me the the escapism that is sent up in Austin Powers and kind of mocked is actually what makes it so great, the Bond movies. And when they are purely escapist, exotic locations, beautiful people, um, lots of action, and those all-important stunts. Moonraker was the big one for me. When that opening to Moonraker where they're fighting, him and Jaws are fighting over a parachute as they fall, freaked the hell out of me as a kid because you knew it was real. Um, and I guess coming back to what you were talking about with Chris Nolan, and having stunt sequences and th- or, or action sequences that you can clearly see don't involve effects. And there's something like, wow, they really did that. Mm. And knowing and just saying that to yourself while you're watching it makes it just adds an infinite amount of thrills to the to the to the film. And the opening of uh, Dark Knight Rises, which is probably the weakest of those three films, but that opening with the uh, Learjet being um, literally sort of scooped up and dragged by the larger plane. And uh, then all the dudes abseiling down and cutting the tail off the plane. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I, you, I don't know. You can't really, you can't beat a sort of, uh, you know, the real thing done for real. The flipping of the, the semi and uh, Dark Knight. Stuff like that. It's, well, it's not as if Hollywood is, uh, are not letting, are they not letting filmmakers make movies like this? They're saying that, oh, Nolan's the only one that can pull it yeah. off. So we're the only one that's going to throw him the money to do these yes. things. Because I just, you know. They think, I think. Maybe in this current environment, and they just think the, if you're minimizing risk, mitigating risk, then it's a good thing. And so, what what's that, John Favreau? We can shoot an entire Star Wars TV series you, in inside a warehouse. Yes, let's do. I that. was about to say, do you, have you watched the Disney Mandalorian gallery, whatever? It I is? did. I watched all of them. I, I, I enjoyed them. You know, the one I enjoyed most was uh, Ludwig Göransson. Have you watched that one about the music? Is that the last episode? Yeah. I haven't watched that Oh, one it's yet. terrific. I've only yeah. watched the one where they touch on Baby Yoda. Ah, oh, the practical one. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I did. I like the show. I like the behind the scenes stuff, but I found it all a bit, there was particularly the, the beginning of that episode about Baby Yoda. Uh, Rick Fuji, what's his name? Uh, yeah. I think it's Rick. Uh, you know Fuki, who I'm talking about. Uh, is, it, is it Fujiyama? He, he, he opens uh, with this long rambling statement that goes on and on and on. It's like, that's not a good way to open an episode. 
Like yeah. I was bored. It's like get on with it. Yeah. And then they started talking about Baby Yoda, and it's like that whole episode should have been just that. Dave Filoni yeah. in another episode, he was talking about the links between all the films and how the the I've gone off on a tangent again, but Darth Maul battle sequence and how that ties the whole oh, yes. series yes. together. And yeah. I thought that was fascinating. That actually, I watched that with the kids and then it was like, oh, well, I guess they just spoil Phantom Menace. Because <laughs> 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 it showed the, the ending. But yeah, that actually made me want to show that. I, I looked at Eli and said, I guess I better show you Phantom Menace and yeah. show you the prequels. I've been putting it off for so long. Now you've got, I've got to subject you to some cinematic Well, just put turns, it on for him and leave. Yeah, I'll just walk out of the room and come back two hours later and <laughs> yes. say, did you watch it? Yep, good. Okay, well, let's never speak of it again. Um, unless, you've got, uh, <laughs> unless you've got an effigy of Jar Jar that you're going to burn in the backyard. I bought them all on Blu-ray. Mm. I know that the the most recent, even the episodes four, five, and six. Oh, like the, have you got the 4K one? No, I don't have a 4K mm. player, but I just bought the Blu-rays because JB had buy two, get one free. The other thing I was going to mention is Fincher, David Fincher, um, and his new film Mank that he's making for Netflix. I read up about this this morning about mm. the, the screenwriter of Citizen Kane. Uh, yes, Mankiewicz. Yes. So Joseph L. Yeah, Mankiewicz. Um, and he, his father wrote it. Jack Fincher wrote the script before oh. he passed away wow. in the early two thousands, and so David Fincher is making that. And I think he's being a bit of a freaky Kubrick about this particular film. Apparently it looks like it's shot in the thirties and it has a thirties vibe and apparently it's quite amazing black and white. And he has kind of abandoned mind Hunter to a certain oh. degree. So there's no active development on that, on that show. And the actors of all their contracts have all lapsed. Well, I didn't like series two of that. No, oh, you didn't. No, I quite enjoyed it. I, I like series know. one. Hmm. I thought series one was a lot stronger. I mean, yeah. I didn't dislike the second, yeah. but uh, yeah, I wasn't the, as engaged with it. No, I kind of in, I enjoyed the non-linearness of the first, where they just they hop from one serial killer to the next. And not to say the second yeah. wasn't bad, it just you know, mm. I just wanted more of the first. I, I found the lead character mm. a little, little less likable too mm. in series two. But yeah, Herman Mankiewicz <clears throat> is the screenwriter to Citizen Kane. Gary Oldman plays yeah, it. Yeah, I, was about to say, I think Gary Oldman is the lead. Gaza, Gaza. Herman Mankiewicz, he was the uh, famously collaborated with um, Orson Welles and wrote Citizen Kane. Tom is his nephew. Joseph is his brother. So a bit does, of a... does Citizen Kane, while well, you've just mentioned it, it's mm. often the number one film of all time and the best blah. How does it sit with you lot? Um, I, I I feel weird about a top, top 10, 5, Top 100, anything to do with film. I love it's movie lists because I can argue with them. Lists, yeah. It's just the hierarchy that bugs me. And mm. it's, it's the same issue I have with the Oscars. It's just so freaking random and kind of, it's such a horse race. And you just think, I just find Citizen Kane hard to watch now. Yeah. Well, Citizen Kane for me is uh, Greg Toland's cinematography. Yeah. And it's undeniably amazing because films back then were just so static when it came to movies. That opening. And so, yeah, low angles where you see the roof yeah. and, and it's just high angles. And the way he was moving the camera around is, is revolutionary. I don't know if, it, it, for me, it's just Orson Welles being in his early 20s and playing an old man and doing it convincing, convincingly, as well as writing and directing it. And also the kind of uh, middle finger, it stuck up at Hearst, yep. William Randolph Hearst. And the, are you familiar with William Randolph Hearst? 
I'm not, no. He was a publisher, Rupert Murdoch of, of his day. Okay. And, um, newspapers Did he also look like a radio. melted candle? <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, you know, once, once Rupert achieves human form, he can only really stay looking like a melted candle before he reverts back to the black mist that he usually occupies as his chosen form. Remember before when I say, don't disparage people, yeah. except for Uncle Rupert. You know, since I you know, did media at school and, and at university, there were quite a lot of movies that, that were have been ruined for ruined, you. Completely yeah. ruined. And I know that they're good it's, movies. Yeah. And I know that they're fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, Seven Samurai, Citizen Kane, Blade Runner, you know, mm. all those go to movies they show you and then make you incessantly write about it. And I was, I was off all of them because yeah. of that reasoning. Yeah. Um, some of them have come back into being able to enjoy it again, you know, Blade Runner being the perfect perfect example. But mm-hmm. Citizen Kane, I've never been able to come back to it. I've never been able to. I, I thought it was amazing the first time mm-hmm. and probably I watched it again since, but I just, I, I can't get past certain elements of it now. It's just, I don't care. Yeah, I think it's when you watch it, mm. right? I think that's the thing with most films. Mm. It's like, when are you exposed to it? I saw it when I was a teenager. I knew that it was kind of highly lauded because it's been called like the greatest film ever made for decades and decades. And you watch it, and when you're younger, you don't. It doesn't really sink in about exactly how ambitious it was and how um, different, how different, yeah. and how interesting. And you know, the thing with the, to remember is that basically it's loosely based on William Randolph Hearst's life, so it's based on this newspaper magnate. And his sort of intimate life, if you want to call it that. And so Wells and his collaborator, uh, I'm actually just um, reading off the uh, the interwebs. Herman J. Mankiewicz created Kane as a composite. Um, um, so they sort of copied Howard Hughes and a few other famous people. But then Hearst was enraged at the idea that Citizen Kane was a thinly disguised and unflattering portrait of him and used as massive influence and resources to prevent the film being released. And all without ever having actually seen it. And Wells and RKO Pictures resisted the pressure. Hearst and his Hollywood friends ultimately succeeded in pressuring theatre chains to limit showings of the film. Uh, So it had moderate box office. Um, It seriously impaired Wells' career prospects because he obviously, his tendrils reached out and he just made sure that Wells was screwed in his career, which happened. Mm. And the fight over the film was documented in uh, The Battle Over Citizen Kane. And then later, there was actually a film uh, called RKO 281 that Ridley Scott produced. Um, and it was pretty good. I think Liev Schreiber was played say, that's uh, good. Orson Welles. It's really good. It documents this whole thing. It's crazy. You know, the famous um, uh, Rosebud, the, the last words yeah. uttered by this character, Kane, is the nickname, allegedly that Hearst had for his lover's private parts. So you can imagine when he watched it, his head would have exploded <laughs> in rage. Um, there's another film called The Cat's Meow, and it had um, Kiss. That's meant to be quite good, I've not... Yeah, yeah. Peter Bogdanovich directed yeah. it, and, um, and Eddie uh, Izzard plays Chaplin. Does he play Charlie Chaplin? He does, and he goes on a yacht with Hearst and Marion Davies, who was a kind of ingenue starlet. He was trying to get Marion uh, a great career, trying to buy her success, which you can't really do to a point because she wasn't as talented as he liked or hoped she was. And in Citizen Kane, Kane, the character, has a mistress that he does the same thing for. So it was really personal and quite like an attack yeah. as a film. And so I've no, <laughs> it's not Is surprising it the line that I tried I, to have it destroyed. Um, the line that I like in it that always 
sticks out was the fact that he's the character in the movie. Mm. He's, what do you call it? Bank manager. Yeah. Was suggesting that the paper's losing a million dollars a year. You, you need to wind this crap up. And he said, well, at this rate, I'll only be able to continue publishing the paper for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like, does it really matter? It doesn't really matter. No. And... I just like that. And lots nice. of, um, there's been loads of books written about it. But uh, yeah, the, the actual topic, it's interesting. There's like three or four films. There's like Rough Riders in 97, where Hearst was played by George Hamilton. George, what the fuck am I doing in Godfather 3 Hamilton? Um, <laughs> and The Cat's Meow, which was 2001. And the aforementioned Cat's Meow. HBO movie called Winchell, which was made oh, in 98. And uh, the, the, again, it's, it's a pretty... I guess it's a pretty juicy, interesting yeah, story. It, sa- it sounds like it's one of the, you know, it probably is up there with the most movies made about a movie movie. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. Sounds like Which yeah. is an interesting. Because of the furor, because of the, yeah. And also. And with th- another th- one to come. Yeah. And uh, yeah, mm. you, I'm quite looking forward to that one. I mean, I'm a, I've been watching a lot of Fincher lately, mm. so I'm, I'm right, uh, right up him um, at the moment. <laughs> up him, <laughs> on him, the so lot. To, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> and oh, look, I. I <laughs> Yeah, as the man with rubber gloves said. And I think um, also <laughs> favourite Fincher films. I just... I, I, Fight I, Club. Yeah, I only recently watched... It's probably not my favourite, but I, last week I watched... Um, and I, I hadn't read the book. I hadn't watched mm. the Swedish film, but I watched um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And I didn't think... I oh, thought, yeah, oh, yes, it's Fincher, but mm. it's just really, really, really mm. good movie. Again, it's just... Um, yeah, you know, I think it probably helped knowing none of the background. Yeah, and I just went, "Oh, Fitch, you just you just nailing it. You're just doing it. You're just um, doing what you need to do." The aforementioned, just to completely dig myself out of a cinematic shithole, uh, Daniel Craig. He's great in that. Yeah, I thought he was really great. That's what I mean. He's he, he is a solid actor. I think I, I actually, love Knives Out. Yeah, Daniel Knives, Craig. Oh, mm. I, I think yeah. I actually they're said, doing another one. You know that? I think I actually right. said yeah. the line when watching um, both Knives Out and uh, Girls of Dragon Two. I actually yeah. I actually turned to my wife and said. He can be he can be something else yep. apart from Bond. I said there's so many characters that people just get rutted into and they yeah. really struggle get to get out of. Yeah. You know, Anthony Hopkins spent so long trying to not be Hannibal Lecter, and I oh just think God, yeah. I just think Daniel Craig. I can see him and go, okay, he's he's that good that I can see him away from Bond, and definitely he'll play Benoit Blanc. I'm sure a couple more times for Ryan. I Hansen. hope so. I want more of them. Mm. Yeah, I could quite easily watch a lot more of him. But cheap to make, did, right? So. Best David Fincher. There's also Bad David because I didn't like the game. Really? Oh, the game. That's actually one of my favourites of his films. Okay, yeah. Strike Two. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I I absolutely agree. I, I said this is where we gang up. I agree with Damo because I don't I don't particularly like mm. Zodiac. Mm. I, I don't. It's oh, very I controversial. I, I just everyone waffles on about it. it. Does nothing for me. I didn't mm. particularly like the case of Benjamin Button either. I think he's had a yeah. couple of misses. I mean, I think probably if you were going to point a gun to my head, Seven is probably up there for me. He's his best. The I, social network, by the way. Sorry. Quite, I, quite, I quite enjoyed Gone Girl, to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever not enjoyed a film of his, but yeah. I think his kind of... Panic Room. I think that was style yeah, over substance. Yeah. yeah um, again, I, I enjoyed it for it what was it was. It was a bit too much cleverness, you know, like the camera going yeah. through. Like, I think that's part you of You had issues is. one time with fake shots. You know, well, they don't they don't hold up. No, and Fight Club has a few of those as well, where you're zooming through keyholes yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, the, the, was it the for me with that one, kettle's handle and all that sort of stuff. Fight Club is um, the, it's performance, it's character driven. Whereas yeah. Panic Room left me just Jodie Foster's usually really good. 
Isn't the daughter in Panic Room a very young Kirsten Stewart as well? Yeah, Kristen Stewart, yes. Kristen Stewart, yes. big fun, yeah. Yep, yep. it is um, indeed. It, it, you know, Alien 3 is a bag of shit, though. Oh, come on. I, I... I That's your first of, strike. I kind <laughs> of liked Alien Three. Is, that, that, I did too. Is, is, yeah. that, is that his first? Is that Finch's That's first? That's Finch's first. And he was. It was a real controversial because uh, it wasn't his version no. that came to cinemas. No, and and it should be said, Sigourney Weaver was the reason he directed that. So she obviously saw the talent in him and um but that's the beauty of the alien four alien films mm. the the directors they, they've all got their their stamp on them mm. it's clearly um, a fincher film yeah. i did a i did i saw the movie and i had to i was in year 12 mm. and i had to do for my english class a talk on a film and that's the film i chose to do my Full on thirty minute talk on yeah Vincent Fantastic. Ward's Vincent Ward's version of his well because Vincent Ward New Zealand filmmaker um, he wrote the script for Alien Three and apparently that was the one the producers picked and they were like yep let's go with this they'd struck sets they were ready to go with it it's basically Ripley crashes into a basically a wooden Death Star but it's actually a monastery in space and it's populated with monks and they're all male. And they're terrified of women. They see her as being like an invader and an outsider and an alien. So there's kind of, you know, it levels everyone. There's lots of great concepts in there and themes. And right at the last minute, the studio lost faith in the script. And they were like, ah, uh, no, let's, uh, let's get different writers in and uh, we'll set it on a prison planet and uh, we'll keep the same monastery vibe and all men, but let's just put it on a prison planet and make it a bit more conventional and uh, get to work it, on it. It was incredibly claustrophobic for yeah. me. I, I felt quite, oh yep. my God, yep. I love unrelenting the whole... kind of despair through it all as well. The forge and having that... That that's very cool. All the molten steel and doing all that. That was that's really cool. I think that was a leftover from Vincent Ward's script as well. So this crazy idea. That's the thing. Is it could have been a really singular, daring film because that's what the producers wanted to do. They it's wanted not to kind the of best do alien it. film. No, well, I just I like, and then they sort yeah, of wore, I, they diluted it, and watered it down, I and was, then just ultimately yeah, it was pretty negative. Prison right? planet. I just think it's quite mediocre. I just you know. when if you if you if you hold it up to the other yeah three yeah. then yes I, th I, I would guess. say if that was the first alien film you watched it would be pretty impactful yeah and you would yeah it just looked so great and um, a lot of the. Um, creature effects and stuff looks fantastic. Alien Resurrection is the fourth one. Yeah, Jean-Pierre Wasn't it also written and partly ghost directed by Joss Whedon? Yeah, he wrote it. Um, I do, I'm not sure about how it was directed. I wouldn't be surprised. There's definitely a lot of Joss Whedonisms in it. Um, I even think, isn't there a dude playing with action figures at one stage in like a outside the spaceship yeah. where they're working and stuff? which is a very sort of Firefly-type kind of gag. But, yeah, Joss Whedon's fingerprints are all over that one. I, I kind of enjoyed it. It, it. it was eager to please. It really wanted to be like a space adventure. and I liked it. Yeah, with space pirates, literally. They were all smugglers and, you know, I'll, misfits. I'll, I'll honestly like most out-of-space confinement on a spaceship. Yeah, you thriller horror movie. Yeah. You know, even if it's bad, I'll you know I um, I dig that genre. Trying to think of some off the top of my head. There's like, a Walter Hill one. Where Walter Hill's kind of relevant because he is one of the producers of Ali the Alien franchise. Um, Walter Hill Supernova, mm -hmm. and that film um, had such a troubled production. But that was James Spader, I think, 
Um, but yeah, any old, I mean, Event Horizon. Event Horizon, I was about Event to Horizon say. Event Horizon yeah. Back is to enjoyable Neil. and it does have some schlocky elements. Considering the themes in it, it's weird that it ends with a kung fu fight with a blind um, Sam Neil. But apparently there's a director's cut that's um, wholly different and has quite a different ending and is a bit more, I like, I like cosmic horror. Um, I don't. I like it when it gets a bit Lovecraftian rather than just a straight. Um, you know, if something's gone through an interdimensional rift into hell, you, you kind of expect something a little more. Um, I don't know, uh, daring or risky or strange. But yeah, Event Horizon's like a hodgepodge of all his influences. I found there's a few. There's quite a lot of directors like that. But Paul Anderson is. Um, I think he got the shits with always being called. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson and being confused. So he changed it to his initials, <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson. And then people confused him with Wes Anderson, yeah. I read. And I don't know if that was a comical story or if that was actually a legit thing. But having W.S., in, yeah, it was a bit misleading. Um, yeah, because he did all the Resident Evils. and everything. He's one of those guys that wears his influences on his sleeve. The Total Recall re- remake and the Underworld yeah. films yeah. made by um, uh, Len Wiseman and... Um, he's the same. He just wears his influences on his sleeve, and it's like, yeah, I love uh, Look, the, the, slick action films. Those films have an audience. Like, yeah, like they've you know, people keep going back to people watch keep them. going back. Yeah, and uh, to me, they're they're like uh, the cinematic equivalent of McDonald's. You know, it's yeah. not a it's not a square meal. It's not like you're going to really enjoy the um, technique or the, the the chefing behind it. But at the same time, you know, you you sort of like, yeah, yeah, it tastes good. Oh, thanks. Next, next. The Resident <laughs> Evil films look great. They do look really slick, but they are a bit uh, empty and crap. But then again, uh, remember Paul Tom, uh, Paul W S Anderson made that terrible Three Musketeers, which I think featured a flying Zeppelin pirate ship type thing. Remember that? And it had like a shootout over Paris. It was like. I'm shaking a, my head. I can't no. forget. Did Alexander talk. Dumas really think of this when he was writing his <laughs> book, or is this anyway? But um, I think that featured Orlando Loon as... Uh, hey, um, hey, 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 come on. Oh, come on, you know. Yeah. We like Orlando Loon. A father-to-be. Who's who's his... Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Oh, well, you know, good on him. I watched. I rewatched Lord of the Rings um, with um, my son and uh, the extended versions. And oh, my God. Uh, I did them all in a day. Oh, yeah. It's, Fuck whoa. me. Yeah. I, mm. It's like Pete, Pete, Pete. Get an editor. Yeah. We'll get a different editor to say no, if cut a, it out. If for quite a long time, uh, listening to the extended version of Fellowship of the Ring was my go to sleep movie. I'd mm. put the headphone in <laughs> and yeah, I don't think that the Hobbits ever left the Shire before I was um, oh I was god. gone. Oh <laughs> my god. When they're talking to the trees and the I don't know which oh, one. Oh, that's in two towers with the ants. Oh the, um, my god. Oh, Seventeen minutes later talking. and they've said hello. And only we watched for the first time uh, the other day was There Will Be Blood. Mate, that is... I honestly oh. think that it was better than uh, No Country for Old Men, which, ah. which is a big big call because mm. I very much like No Country for Old Men. It's, mm-hmm. it's as good as it needs to be. But yeah, I didn't see that one coming. You know, I knew that it had a lot of hype behind it, but yeah. there you see. That's a pretty amazing film. There's very few filmmakers, I think. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's in a special box um, that I keep buried under my house. <laughs> and uh, no, he's in a special sort of sub special section, roped off, velvet rope, um, because he's, he is one of my favorite directors and favorite because he 
has progressed and developed so notably and like to such a extraordinary level that when I watched There Will Be Blood, I, I really had a hard time believing that this was the same filmmaker that made Boogie Nights. Yeah. Because Boogie Nights, as well written as it is and, and as enjoyable as that film is, it is very, very um, uh, referential to uh, the Altman, like Nashville, um, the Robert Altman's style. Uh, where people talk over each other and you've mic'd up everybody and you kind of have a naturalistic conversational style, but also the way that he depicts characters and also Scorsese, obviously, the way it's shot. And it, like I said, he's, he's wearing his influences on his sleeve like many filmmakers do. But then he just sort of ascended to this different level yeah. where he's presenting you with a film that you feel like he's not actually... He's not actually referencing any filmmakers. There's that book Oil by Upton Sinclair that was inspired There Will Be Blood. But Daniel Day-Lewis, I think hands down, is one of the best performances I've seen him give. Like, give. He's pretty much amazing in that film. I think it's probably up there with one of the best performances. I know that mm. he's he's one of the best, but that I've ever seen, honestly, yes. in that movie. Um, I recommend Chinatown because uh, at the end of Chinatown, because for a long time people were like, who the hell... Did he copy the voice off? Where did he get the voice? And if you watch Chinatown, John Huston, father of um, Angelica and uh, and Danny, um, he is playing this patriarch in Chinatown. He's quite sort of dodgy, dark, and you know, fingers in a lot of pies. He, you're not he a lot of influence, and he's quite so. He's got a lot of weight and gravitas, but he talks just like this. And he's got a really deep voice and he's sort of, and you're watching it thinking, oh my God, he has copied John Houston in Chinatown. Like it sounds exactly like um, Daniel Plainview. Definitely the voice thing. I love drainage. I'm drinking your milkshake. Yeah, See, I yeah. like Punt Drunk Love. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great film. Best Adam Sandler performance. Mm, I, I would say the best Adam Sandler performance was Uncut Gems. But we, uh, we know that, Jared. And uh, <laughs> we... I told you you got three oh, strikes. No. Oh, no. I'll forgive you for this that one because we've had this conversation strike. before. Well, oh. but, yeah, I liked Uncut Gems as well. Your I'm sorry, too. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Uncut Gems, mate. Oh, the, the, see, the, the Safdie brothers actually signed a deal with HBO, so they'll probably pop up with a TV show. Well, that's good. Point. They're limited, limiting their audience. Oh, yeah. That's really <laughs> clever. I watched uh, last night First Man. Ah, okay. Um, Ryan, Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's first man, his betrayal of, um, of, of Neil Armstrong. Yeah, I remember when it came out, um, it wasn't massively well received, but I quite liked it. It's, it's very long mm. and I very much, yeah, he, the cinematography in it is spectacular. Sound design for oh. me. You know when we're in the... Oh, incre oh incredible. I would, have, I would have actually loved to have just gone and seen that in the cinema for that reasoning. And, yeah. I, and I loved his use of first-person perspective. I don't think it's used a lot in cinema. And, you know, as you see Neil walking onto the gangplank to go into the rocket and the whole thing shot in an uncut first-person point of view shot and you really feel like... Man, these guys were in the shit. Like, I, I really yeah, appreciate. We that. went to space in a friggin' tin yeah. can. Yeah, that's and the using a Commodore sixty four. They realised these dudes were quite literally strapped to rockets, yeah. and yeah. really emphasises that the creaking of rivets and yeah, uh, you uh, really get yeah. The idea and I, I think I counted towards the end. I, I started counting it. I thought he, he used extreme close ups of rivets at least fifty times. Mm. There's a cut to a rivet, which I think is fine. And um. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I really like the movie. I really like the illusion and the idea that it shows, like, hey, these guys. It wasn't all this 
big hero thing. Like a lot of people died. Essentially, there were human sacrifices for this yes. uh, venture. And, you know, it's actually it's a tragic story. He's de- he's the death of his yeah. uh, young baby. And then essentially his two best friends die. You know, so yeah. having said all that, you know, they spend a, he spends a long time just sitting on Gosling's face as he mopes, mm. uh, which is <laughs> Who doesn't which is fine, <laughs> but the movie just goes on and on and on, and yeah. you know I like it, but it does it does um, sort of drag in that respect for quite some time. It's painted an image for me, <laughs> <laughs> but overly, I um I, I I very much enjoyed it. I I thought of, I didn't think mm. you know. Because I was very off La La Land, and mm. you know, I didn't think that I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. But yeah, the cinematography it was a nice surprise. Wasn't yeah, it? the yeah. cinematography really, um, you know, really, really pulled me through that movie. Yeah, yeah. it was not, it was good. I like spacey stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a NASA geek, so anything, oh, well, anything space related. force then. Yes, yeah, sp- <laughs> you you <laughs> you reviewed that. it on the radio. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally disagree with Zach Hepburn on ABC Breakfast, who just shot the shit out. I was of it. reading an ABC article that said that um, we our review was negative, and you told us we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's I, funny. It's, it's a funny. Fun. It's not. It's, it's well not made. the office. It's not well, absurdist silliness. I, I I love it as well. And the only thing I'll say about it is that I think some shows and Space Force is a perfect example. Some shows, uh, the promotion leading up to a show and the advertising. I think yeah, it really yeah. shot in his foot because every promotion you see for that was that it's Greg Daniels and Steve yeah. Carell and then big fat writings from the creators of The Office. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people that went into it just wanted to see The Office and they wanted yeah. that they wanted that style of style of really quick slapstick humor. And it's just not that. And I liked it as well. I, I really, really, really liked the, it. The as monkey. Well. And and you know, I think a lot of people that was just hysterical. Yes. And uh, that when it when they sort of drop that they the, the monkey that is performing some kind of well like a like a rescue in space <laughs> yeah. for their craft that's been damaged, and as he he's the monkey is that uh, inadvertently slung off towards the sun, and it actually you're horrified that it's happened. It's like oh my god, and Steve Carell delivers this very moving. Eulogy. We're going to award you with a you know a two star kind of recommendation commendation, and everyone's really. Moved and then it's like, where's the dog? Cut to the dog. <laughs> Cut to the dog's tail. Cut to the dog's tail in zero G. Yeah. It's like, well, he must have eaten the dog. And then it turns into Steve Carell hurling abuse mm-hmm. at this you dog eating bastard. So for me, that's disappointing because I think a lot of people didn't give it that chance. Didn't no. go in with an open mind, going, let's just watch it as a show. People watched it, you know, an episode or two and went, this isn't The Office, and then switched it off. Well, see, I'm, for me, I've never seen The Office, so I I didn't know yeah, what it was. Yeah. The, the, the Office once it gets in, uh, past the first season. It turns into its own thing, and it's probably got more in common with like Simpsons mm-hmm. and that kind of surreal, absurd humor, and quite weird but very funny. And it becomes its own thing, very different to the UK but office. Space Force has a heart too. Yeah, but at um, the end of it, you do, you do. It's a nice drama. I think. I think what it is, what it's probably, well, when I reviewed it on Drive the other day, I, I think I was, I was struggling to kind of compare it. And I think I said something like it's more, it's got more in common with Dr. Strangelove and that idea of you play it straight, yep. but the, everything's quite silly and over the top and, and surreal. And pointing, but, like poking Trump. Yes. And If I had to find a kind of companion piece movie that I think it's tonally very Dr. similar Strangelove to. Dr. Strangelove is quite good. Dr. Strangelove or even Idiocracy, the idea of this kind of sheer insanity, but you're kind of... But it's not as sort of not as much buffoonery. Idiocracy is one of my all-time favorite comedies. And just by the when way. was it Kokomo? He sings Kokomo. <laughs> he sings Kokomo by That's the Beach great. Boys. You know, it's yeah. he's he's a really good 
he's he's very good in it, Steve Kroll, because he plays it to a T, and they allude to it in a few episodes where it's that whole commentary that the American military just they basically just beat emotions out of you. And they keep giving you these little tidbits as the mm. show goes along about how tragic his life's actually been. You yeah. know, when he was a prisoner of war in Bosnia. Right. And they give you these little bits that I quite enjoy with it, you know, bring, bring the show back to a human level. I, I, I think like all sort of great comedies, you kind of, you try for something uh, different. You kind of, and also you've got to give it time. Like they, when I think about all the comedy shows that I like the most, the first seasons are always a bit shite. And it's Seinfeld, Seinfeld, especially, you have to give it time to kind of develop and and sort of find its um, groove. Mm. And so I'd be very keen to see what the next season's like. But Zach Hepburn was like, he was reviewing something else. I think he even said um, on ABC Breakfast the other day, Oh well, clearly they were going for something. The the, the um, sort of the hijinks from a show like The Thick of It, and I'm thinking, really? How do you know that? Like, n- no, this is not supposed to be Veep. This is supposed to be. Um, it's actually that's got dramatic elements in it that are supposed to but be taken straight. That's and, why I liked it. Yeah, and the insanity seems to all be coming from. <clears throat> excuse me what he's being asked to do. So he's leading Space Force, he's in charge, he's got a lot of pressure on him, and it's more the the insanity related to that. But I watched I it in it. two days. Yeah. Did you watch Upload, which is the other series yeah. Greg Daniels made? That on Amazon? That's an, it's well made as well. Yeah. He's and it's also got kind of a dramatic edge to it. Like I, it's I liked the yeah. the the assistant lady on the computer. The whatever they call her. She was Prince's guitarist. In the new power generation, her name's Andy Allo. I, I, she was my yeah. favourite character. She out. was good. I thought it was really good. I realised that um, yeah, all those shows, the the end of the office upload and um, uh, Space Force mm. are all written as well by Greg Daniels' son, ah, Owen Daniels. Oh, so it's okay. like they're like a a, a father son writing team, which oh. I, I, I quite liked right. when I when I found that out. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah Greg Daniels started on Simpsons. Talented, I like I just yeah. So back when Simpsons was good, yeah, I think he he like like Conan O'Brien. Yeah, Conan O'Brien wrote the monorail episode of uh, Simpsons. So but around up until great. about season nine, I think Sim- Simpsons. It's a few. What, what are we up to now? Season seventy two. Thirty. Yeah. Is it thirty one now? Scarily, uh, I I've right. not missed an episode. Really? Is, Is that, it still okay? Is no. it still funny? No, no. it's not okay. I watched Little Women and, and quite enjoyed it. I didn't think I was going to enjoy mm. it because I had nothing. I, I had no reasoning behind anything behind it, and my wife put it on, and I found myself getting it's like weirdly forty versions absorbed. Of it as well. And I thought that was quite good, but I watched the um, <laughs> the ninety three version. Is it's my like the, the, uh, the Gillian Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, That's not to say I didn't like the newest yeah. one. It was good. But. I like the structure. I like yeah. it's a non-linear and it jumped through. I thought, oh, this is cleverly plotted. I like the way they've sort of changed it up by but restructuring. Occasionally, though, I was like, oh, we have changed, right? We've moved here. Yeah. It wasn't mm. clear to me always. I think it needed more explosions. It definitely needed, <laughs> as Roger Corman would say, a helicopter explosion. Yeah. Uh, it didn't have any, so I was a bit let down. Yeah, by that. Yeah. It loses half a star for that. And yeah. then the last thing that yeah, comes to mind was the peanut butter falcon. It was a completely sort of like an accidental find, and it has obviously um, a Shire LaBeouf in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite good. It's sort of like a modern day retelling of Huckleberry Finn, but I suppose mm. the, the, the essence of the film was that it stars, um, uh, alongside Shia LaBeouf. It's sort of like an on the run 
through the Bayou section of America, but it stars a, a young man that has Down syndrome and he mm-hmm. plays a character on screen that has Down syndrome. And it's just, it is mm. incredibly magical and funny. And I actually thought it was probably the best thing I've seen in a very, very, very long time. Um, I give a lot of props to Shia as well. He's sort of, you can tell that he, um, he's sort of dragging along this relationship quite well. And it was, um, yeah, it was spectacular. I do like Sleepy Labeef. He's, 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 Really coming into his own, <laughs> Charlotte before Labif. He is actually a phenomenal actor. He's great. Like he's um, gone through a lot of stuff. Like he's had a lot of mental health issues, which he's pretty upfront about. Honey Boy is worth checking out, which is the I've, film he wrote. Yeah, it's on my um, list. That one. It's a biopic essentially of it's, his life. Yeah, yeah, it's quite disturbing when you it's watch about it. About his dad, think, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I he plays. He plays. He plays his own dad in the movie, doesn't right. he? I think he spoke to his father before he shot it and um, let him know that he was going to play him. But yeah, I think making it was therapy for him, quite literally therapy. Good. And um, and so, yeah, the, the Honey Boy is definitely worth watching. And Fury, the tank film, I enjoyed that, the World War II film yep. with Brad Pitt. That was yep. really good as well. The first Transformers I like. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The first one was all right. The rest would just, you could just make like a five minute YouTube film with editing all the others to, together. And that would be pretty much it. It's still more than enough. More than enough. Yeah. More than enough. I always thought it weird that they made so many, and you'd think that Michael Bay would have jumped off the bandwagon. You know, most or mostly always they get, you know, they they get off after mm-hmm. the second or third. But you know, he stuck with it, didn't he? In his defence, he yeah. went all the way through to the end. Yeah, and well, his quote, I think he gets quite a lot for, of cash um, and his payment as a director. And if you're going to talk about paydays, I'm sure he gets points in the back end as well, which also sounds a bit suspect when you say it in the right. <laughs> Tone of tone of voice, <laughs> but he gets points from the gross uh, or the net or whatever. I'm sure he gets a bit of uh, he gets a brown paper bag full of money after the film makes its first billion, <clears throat> and I think each one made a billion. Yeah. So you know he's not. Uh, but Michael Bay, I watched Pain and Gain. Yes, and that c- could have been a, an excellent black comedy because mm. the, the what the true story is based on is really tragic. And, and awful, mm. but it's the movie's just you know, Michael Bay. It's a very fucking it all up. It's a very mean spirited film, that's for sure. I didn't it's mind. It's it very too unrelenting much. as well. It's just banging you over the head with this and banging you over the head with that. But yeah, Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, they're good in it. It's just not done. It's not handled well. Yeah, you know, I feel Mark Mark Wahlberg and The Rock are good in almost everything they do, but they do bad movies. Okay, yes. so like yeah. you know, the movies that they are in are bad, but mm. they are fine in it always. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, I I look. I've got a lot of time for The Rock. I actually I love The Rock. I think he's a bit of a. He's of great a in Be Cool. Yeah, he's great. Oh, in I think that's cool. hilarious. Um, I enjoyed him in. Uh, oh, what did I watch with the kids on Disney Plus? It was uh, Escape from Witch Mountain, or Race to Witch Mountain. I think it was called. And which is an update of the Disney film. It's like a just a, a slicker sci-fi kind of adventure. And The Rock's very thin and very young in it. <clears throat> uh, remember that film Faster, where he's getting revenge? Yes. Yeah, there's like a, ve- a revenge flick. That was actually he's pretty cool. Well, good. I mean, the, the example that I make of The Rock, and I totally agree with both of you, he's just mm. so utterly watchable. Yeah. He has the, the char- you know, he's charismatic. and I didn't like just, Jumanji. He's um, very affable but and funny. I sat down and tried, and it's been, a, is, is, you know, usually I can get through almost all films, even if they're bad, mm. but I tried to watch Skyscraper. 
And it's Ooh. one of the first movies in a very long time that yeah. I, I physically switched off and went, well, <laughs> it no, needed fuck the sense it, of humour. And yeah. I was like, what are you trying to be? Are you trying to be diehard? Yeah, are you trying like to be, I felt like, you know, they had writers left, right and center. And I just went, who, what? And, and the rock is, you know, he's trying, you can see that he's trying to bring this together. It's no San Andreas. San Andreas and Rampage were the same director. Rampage um, is fun. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible, I, I but thought, it's fun. Yeah, but Rampage, fun. it's fun in a great way. Cause again, it's poking fun a little bit. Yes. Like it's good. Um, Skyscraper was Ross and Marshall Thurber, and he made Dodgeball of all oh, films. I like Dodgeball. And, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, dude, you should be making those, those kinds yeah, of films. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. the hell are you doing directing Skyscraper? Like, yeah, he like loses he's his also, leg at the start, and then all of a sudden, you just like, you know, I remember yelling at the screen and he's yeah. climbing up a ladder. I'm like, you're not, you don't have a leg. Have, yeah. have you forgotten this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, Ross and Marshall Thurber is making uh, the Rock's new. Uh, what do you call it? Netflix film. It's called Red Notice. I think it had to shut down because of uh, the Rona, but um, I think they're probably starting up again. But it's got Gal Gal Gadot and um, and Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds is in it. Oh. Yeah, so that's a big Netflix film. Netflix just they just d- take a huge cash dump. There you go, make a film. Yeah, drop it into us when you're finished. Thanks. Very and I think much. they're totally happy with you know the one in ten margin. That's why I feel like with Netflix films, mm. one in ten end up being good. And then you get nine just absolute yeah. pieces yeah. Well, of shit. Mank, the aforementioned uh, Citizen Kane flick, that's, that'll be Netflix. I think that's their hopefully, they probably think, they hope it's an Oscar contender. So you two, if, speaking of Netflix films then, um, Extraction, you both would have liked it, I'm guessing. I, I enjoyed it. I wish I could have watched it in the cinema because it, it was like plot wise, it was pretty ropey. Like it didn't, again, coming back to the internal logic thing, it, it was a few things that just didn't make sense in that film at all. And even when I watched it again, it still didn't make sense, but I enjoyed it anyway. And I think um, I just, it was two hours of shooting. <clears throat> yeah. Did yeah. You, well, exactly. Did you enjoy what's it? Not, what's not no, to love, man? No, what's didn't. not to love? Uh, even with a Hemsworth. Come on. No. Come on, Chris no, Hemsworth. I felt let you know, down by it. It's not... Thor going John Wick. Who doesn't want to see him yeah. pushing someone's face into a Good. rake? Are you telling me that that's not enjoyable? Come on. It was, it's, it's, I don't like. It was confusing because <laughs> I, I agree. Like it was, you know, it's just shooting and it makes no sense. But on one hand, you have this very obviously very talented stunt coordinator from all the Avengers films who directed it, and then he obviously knows how to. Um, you know, direct an action scene and there's some quite good takes, uh, a big long one-shot elongated takes. And then you have these scenes where he's just diving into a lake and then he's sitting at the bottom of a lake and you're just like, well, what, what, yeah, like, you, what's going on? Well, you got, you, you got to, yeah, that sets up the ending because at the end you think one thing's happened and then if you watch the credits and then after the credits there's a, a, a single shot, which means sequel, which they're making. But um, it was it was competently made. That was very. Oh, look, the action and the stunt work. That's what I would. I watched it for, and that's what I enjoyed out of it. There was a there's a plot where he gets hired. This is what I got from it. He is hired along with his team by the sort of security dude for an Indian uh, sort of drug lord crime boss, right, to rescue his son who's been kidnapped by a Bangladeshi crime boss, and then you. Watch it, and the dude who's hired Hemsworth and his team is actively trying to stop them and take the kid himself. Because he's on a separate pay ransom that's off to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, just... that part was never explained <laughs> properly. And I'm like, why 
the hell is this guy trying to stop people from doing the job that he's hired them to do? But if you just want, if you want to watch no something with, with shooting and blowing shit up, just mm. go back to Die Hard. It was done properly. Well, this is true. This is true. But um, I, I have to say, I, I enjoyed Extraction just for the sheer Ball sort of strike. choreography of those. Oh, come on. <laughs> Come on. It's no, full. it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. I didn't enjoy it, but I can see why people it, would. It, look, the plot, the script was a bit wobbly, but it was well written enough to kind of carry me along. I was, and I was as far as the it. one in 10 factor thing that you said, I probably think it's probably one of, one of the more successful because mm. they've made some shit. Mm. But I should say, in reference to Peanut Butter Falcon, um, the uh, film's in kind of referencing, even thematically, Huck Finn. You could do yeah. a little subgenre of them because if you like those kinds of movies, uh, Mud is also a yeah. terrific film with Matthew McConaughey, which is about it's coming of age again. Jeff Nichols, who is a phenomenal director, if you've ever seen Take Shelter with um, Michael Shannon, uh, Michael Shannon playing the guy who builds a shelter in anticipation of like some kind of apocalypse. It is phenomenal. You don't like Michael Shannon, do you? You don't like Demo. Michael Shannon? What is wrong with you? If you don't like many, Michael many, Shannon, many things. don't like life. That's the, I always say that. I was saying that to an old lady in the supermarket last night. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what the, what the hell am I talking about. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's also perfectly plausible. Yeah, it is perfectly we know plausible. You. The, amount of, <laughs> the amount of aged people I've ranted at uh, in supermarkets about films and their cinematic choices. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. I hope you die. You're wrong. No, that's it. Once the police escorted me out of there, it was fine. <laughs> what we do in the shadows is just wrapped up oh. as well. Season two. Yeah, currently my favourite TV How show. How good is it? And it is some of the funniest that last TV. episode. Have you? Are you up to date with that? <laughs> the first season, not oh, the second. Okay. You're Get talking about the, the, the theatre of the, the oh, Nouveau Theatre of Vampire. That was Vamp great. Nouveau Theatre das Vampire or something. Something that's... crazy like that. Oh my god! Very I love funny. that show so much. I find myself in the kitchen. I'll just say to myself, Guillermo, <laughs> <laughs> or Gizmo. <laughs> Nandor is one of the. So he cool. is one of the best characters I've seen in a comedy show. Have you seen what we do in the? Yes, yes, yes. The first, not the second season. Yeah, yeah. With the a couple of little paper. where he looks off to camera. Yes, when he says something, and it, <laughs> <laughs> that awkwardness. I love it. It's just it's so Guillermo, beautifully the coffin is stuck again. So that the. Guillermo, I'm in my coffin. I'm going to get out of my coffin now, Guillermo. I'm going to surprise you. You know, he's such a great character, and um, and also in the context of the show, just so believable and quite sweet. That's what I love. And also Matt Berry. Yes. Oh, he's he's so oh god. My favorite him. episode is when he has to go off on into the, that other town. He's on the run. And he <laughs> runs that bar and helps the netball team or yes. whatever it is. Helps, oh. helps the local netball team oh, becomes like this sort of foundation town community kind of center yeah, kind of a person, a and it's just such a hilarious idea. Um, yeah, and that episode where Colin gets the promotion. Yes. Dad, yes. And then start the energy vampire who starts feeding off people's boredom and stuff. He starts boring his colleagues. You, you've got to get into season two. Oh, season two is funny. It's my favourite thing at the moment. It's definitely the most Emmy-worthy comedy show I can think of at the moment. Like every episode. All I'll say is the, the, that finale of season one, the vampire orgy, is yeah. some of the funniest TV I've seen in a long time. That was hysterical. There's a show that took a few episodes to get going. Like it, it's always clunky when you're dealing with those sort of comedic elements, because there's so much of it is 
um, the actors, it's the casting and how they gel. Seinfeld's the perfect example. I like how it separates, you know, it clearly separates itself from the film as well. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yes, it's, yep. from, you know, it, the, the film is the film and it's great. We're going to go the same style, but we're not, we're going to do our own thing here. Yeah. And I love the, um, that they do a cameo, like those guys from the film uh, in uh, the, the Vampire Council episode. Yeah, yeah, they're on there. Pop up. Pee Wee Herman. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Oh, With God. his clunky Skype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they couldn't say Blade, obviously, because of uh, you know, copyright, mm. etc. But yeah, love And just that winching show. that uh, Brad and Tom hadn't turned up, couldn't be bothered turning up. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, God. I love that show so much. That was brilliant. Yeah, but it's over. Well, it, it seems like it doesn't take them long to um, shoot episodes. Uh, the only problem is, and I don't know if you've thought about this, but there is going to be a point in a couple of months where there's going to be nothing except mm-hmm. uh, reality TV shows where you know beautiful people convene on an island to root each other, and that's about it. There's not going to be any I, sort I just of discovered TV. the other day there's a new Big Brother that's oh, not like the God. old Big Brother. What? Didn't they learn their lesson? Uh, have you seen Charlie Brooker's uh, series? It was the first thing he wrote. Before Black Mirror, it was called Dead Set. Yes, yeah, so about about it's big, the, brother big brother, and then there's a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> and they don't, know and they don't know. Happened. So they keep, they, yeah. So there's all zombies in the outside world, and they're still in the Big Brother house. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to talk about was the last Dan Doco. Yeah, loved it. You loved it. I loved it. I was really cynical about it at first. I, I um, well, that's fine because so was. Um, Old mate Ken Burns, yes, came out and said yeah. that it's not the way you make factual documentaries if the star has final say. I knew it wasn't going to be warts and all, but mm. I loved the NBA in the nineties. Watched all those games when I could. Yeah, from what we had on free to wear at the time, I was I was blown away by the level of um, the almost insane level that Michael Jordan was uh, driven and obsessed, like compelled to win. And if you weren't going to help at all costs, yeah, yeah, at all costs, if you're not going to help get the fuck out of my way, get out of my team and that the, the, how much accountability he sort of imposed on his teammates for their performance and how, how, whether they were all in or not. And well, uh, some people ask me, it's a sports doco. So should I be watching? Cause I don't give a shit, but it's more than that. Mm. It's the drama of it all. It's the excessiveness of it all. It's the, you got the De- Dennis yeah. Rodman characters and Carmen Electra's in it, and anyway, I just wanted to. Tell, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. I, no, I, I, I haven't watched the last I, two. I agree with you. Like, I'm not a basketball fan at all, and uh, you know, had no real involvement or or care about the NBA. But I thoroughly enjoyed it for those exact reasons you say that mm. you you just get you get sort of brought into the character that he is, and and I, and I those f- around him. Yeah, and yeah, you have to feel for those. Um, uh, for the ESPN editors, like the, the footage that yeah, they find, like all this unknown footage that was shot of those so games there's is 500 just... hours of documentary <laughs> film out, uh, that j- alone, yeah, just no. that behind the and, scenes. And even, even in the documentary, there's only how much, I mean, it, you know what I mean? Like just a tiny portion. Then, then so you've got old news footage and old match footage and yeah. then, then the current interviews and then the old, uh, it's, the lengths that they went to to create it is spectacular. Well, I was reading a couple of people complaining. Why didn't they just tell it chronologically? Yep. Because that's fucking boring. That's why you jump back and forth and how these <laughs> things that happened in the 80s yes. affected the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called fucking storytelling. But seeing how Sorry. just... Um, 
How dare you I be said, so threw, opinionated? I threw my pen down. How dare you be so opinionated? Oh, I agree. I agree. It's more um, how sh- I think I'm just seeing how utterly committed and, and obsessed they, well, Michael Jordan, um, Scotty Pippen, just seeing how much they give of themselves to the yeah. game. Scotty Pippen was kind of a, he's kind of a tragic figure in a way because of he, in terms of the remuneration and getting. And, and in some respects, the spotlight. Yeah, the spotlight and, and financially being compensated for your contribution, which was massive to yeah. the team. Yeah. And he went and screwed himself by signing up a set. Like, who signs a seven year contract to anything? Yeah. It's kind of nuts, particularly was, in that in that arena, because yeah. you will get better potentially. And I, I'm sure he got sponsorships and he got some cash. I'm sure he got. It paid looked like he's ways, doing okay but, now, yeah. but that doesn't make it you know, right. Moon, I liked, but I wasn't sure Sam Rockwell by himself is strong enough to carry the film. Oh, really? That's my. You, it's, it's going to be another Kevin Spacey conversation, isn't it? <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Spacey is the robot. What's yeah, the name that of the was robot? creepy. Uh, I can't like the Howl. He is, is it, he's essentially Howl. Gertie. I think that film owes more to Silent Running. Some great mm, miniature work than anything yeah. else. Yeah, going back to good, uh, no CG. They just used those really quite you know gorgeous, clever miniatures on the moon and look great. To me, I watched it and just went, okay, so they're going to use that to do this to get there to make that happen Mm. and they're all fucking clones. I feel like all... I feel like all clone movies are exactly the same. Yeah, like they, they, they don't, you can't really deviate this with clone movies. That was a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a spoiler. It's and a bit of spoiler uh, spoilers <laughs> for uh, Oblivion. If anyone hasn't seen Oblivion, but that also, re- mm. I'm just going to pause. That also relies heavily <laughs> on the aforementioned clone thing. But um, yeah, I don't like it when because by dint of the fact that I've just watched too many bloody movies, you just end up predicting the plot. Because again, some filmmakers just they love to make movies by riffing on the movies that they love, but the mm. movies they love are really recent and they don't. Um, to quote, I think Quentin Tarantino quote, uh, said this, and I've I've often coined it, but like often repeated it. Which is originality is the art of concealing your sources. Yeah, and there's a lot of filmmakers that are like shitty code. at concealing their sources. Yeah. And you could just go, oh, okay, you obviously like Blade Runner. You obviously like uh, Silent Running. You obviously like 2001. You obviously like this film and that film and that. Film. Because you can just see all the influences, and it's a little bit annoying. Well, this is coming back to uh, Nolan again. I can't. He's one of yeah. the only ones that's yeah. still where you like. You know, he hides it well. Yeah, you, you hide it very it. well. You know. Uh, Source code does have Vera Famiga in it. Yeah. Fami- well, I don't like her. Yeah, uh, I she, liked her in Up in the Air with George Clooney. She was all right, and um, she wasn't bad in this. But she ruined that Godzilla. I mean, not that that Godzilla film was any good. Had some good monsters in it. I like. Yeah, some but of the I monsters. still how fucking hard is it to make a good Godzilla yeah, film? I know. Obviously, really hard. You know why? Because they. They can't just indulge and just say, you know what? At its core, this is actually just got to be, you know, Godzilla stomping the shit out of things and just have some fun with it. I yes. I feel though, I I agree. I don't think it was as good as what it could have been. But the story behind the director Gareth Evans being able to make it and the fact that it came off his film Monsters, which you know mm. he made for about ten thousand pounds. No paid actors basically went down to South America and made up this you know alien invasion film on mm. the spot, and then mm. spent one or two years doing the CG himself because he was a CG artist for the BBC in his basement using After Effects, and then mm. 
he ended up, I think he won the BAFTA for best new director for that film. And, and then it was so good that they went, right, we'll give you a script. And then he went to get Godzilla and then he got to do a Star Wars film. That's so right. he's got a, um, you know, it's pretty good. You know, it's, he was very shrewd. He tough for it himself. Very shrewd because he got, basically, he was signed on to do the Star Wars film. I think the optics that Lucasfilm wanted was, look, we've got a new up and coming young filmmaker, mm. independent filmmaker who's making this big film. And they sidelined him and then got another director to come in and complete the film and rewrite it and significantly change it. For the better, because you just he's just he's demonstrably inexperienced making a film of that size, and obviously, but he was shrewd enough to keep his mouth shut, and it was a great film. It was really enjoyable. It was really popular. Rogue and One was one of the better. He of gets the new, all, oh, absolutely. You know, it's probably it's up really, there with the best of the new ones. And to his credit, and there's it a spin-off great. series coming. Yeah, great. Well. Yeah, what about Cassian uh, yeah. Andor? Yeah, yeah. The, I, th- I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably. I think it's probably one of the best new Star Wars films. Mm, like, yeah. it, and that includes Force Awakens, The Last Jedi. The beauty of it is, it has to have that finish. Yeah, to work in Although, the timeline. I did like about Mandalorian in that Ghost Gallery episodes where John, um, John Favreau said from the outset he wasn't, he didn't want to make a Star Wars series that riffed on the Star Wars tropes. He said he wanted to be inspired by the things that had inspired George Lucas in the yes, first place. Yes. Like Kurosawa films, the samurai films mm-hmm. and, and gunslinger stories, not like and the sort of Western tropes, not not other Star Wars films. Mm. And I think that might be why Rogue One works. Uh well, Rogue, well, maybe Rogue One is actually the, <laughs> the opposite to that, isn't it? Because mm. it's touching on all the iconography and everything, and that's what makes it so. But it's also a cool story, and it actually does have some kind of Kurosawa-y elements in it, the blind, the sort of uh, Zatoichi blind yeah. uh, Jedi master. But also, um, yeah, I think they're two different things. I'm mixing up my, my Star Wars fine. arguments. Yeah, well, I think, I, I think that's also why maybe Godzilla wasn't as great. For the exact reason that you just said, Jared, is that you know, he, 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 you know, he, he didn't have that experience. Mm. You know, he essentially made a student film that yeah. got way bigger than it ever should have. Mm. Um, and if you haven't seen it, Monsters is a really, it's really, terrific. really, really good movie. Um, but yeah, he essentially, essentially made a, a, a student film and then they all of a sudden went, right, you can do the next Godzilla film. He's, and you could tell that he's not. He was a smart cookie by taking advantage of the location shoots and they shot in Galveston after the hurricanes yeah. there. And uh, absolutely, like such a, just absolutely brilliant idea. So you've got block after block of leveled um, uh, suburbia. And so they use that as a kind of backdrop for these CG monsters, which you barely see any of, but this idea that every, the whole area has been devastated by enormous Godzilla-type monsters. Well, they're, well not Godzilla-type, are they? they're sort of alien. I think they're more like 10-foot-tall you know, octopuses yeah. in a sense, aren't in, they? In, infected zone. Yeah. There might have been a little bit of the, uh, the mist Actually, mm. the creatures in that. I think Godzilla versus King Kong needs to be remade. I'm just putting I, it out there. Well, as far as I know, um, let's just uh, type this into the interwebs. Godzilla uh, versus Kong is actually in pr- either pre-production. Godzilla versus Kong and The Matrix Four ha- have been pushed back. So Godzilla versus Kong, <laughs> I directed was by yep, directed. <laughs> Adam Wingard, who is a uh, noted horror director. Uh, it's got Millie Bobby Brown, Alexander Skarsgård, Rebecca Hall. So did, did she reprise her role that she, uh, that she played so. in the second Godzilla? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and um, so, where but, where does oh, all I want to know is uh, yeah the epic next chapter in the cinematic monsterverse is it a monsterverse I didn't know that pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture yeah. history against one another the fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong with humanity caught in the balance it goes something like this. Godzilla walks towards Kong, Kong walks towards Godzilla, and then <laughs> Godzilla stamps on Kong, and then the film ends. The credits roll. I'd watch that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I, would, I want to see Kong being trained, like Armageddon style, or how to, how to be like a, 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 maybe a fighter pilot. or to, to and, and proper use of Mothra. And where's Meg, Mecha, Mega Godzilla? Oh, we could put Kong, hey? put Kong in a mech suit. Yeah. Mega Godzilla. Yeah. Kong controls Mechagodzilla, fights Godzilla, boom. There's, There's your film. Limitless fun to be had. Wingard, what the fuck are you yeah, doing? Hurry up. <laughs> Find out. Come on, Eric Pearson, screenplay. Adam Wingard, by the way, is a terrific. He wrote a film called The Guest, wrote and directed that. It yeah, had um, dude from uh, Downton Abbey. Yeah, in. yeah. You're Next, he also wrote and directed. He's really, really great. Uh, um, Death Note as well, the manga live-action American version. Um, on Netflix, he made that as well. He's a, he's a he's a pretty he's a decent filmmaker. So it'd be interesting to see what he can do with it. But I mean, isn't Godzilla like a like a twenty story building compared to King Kong, who's not much bigger than sort of a house? The resident expert. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when the last time I was do, you know doing a huge pile of shrooms, I saw King Kong <laughs> and uh, watching Jesus build the pyramids. King Kong wasn't that big at all. No. In in the in the Japanese one, they're about the same size. Right. Okay. If you make them the same size, I, I recently watched Skull Island. Yeah. Um. And okay. Ugh. Yeah. It had like it was lots going for it, yeah, but it just missed. Yeah. Again. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It missed, it, it missed the mark, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, there's a lot to be said for um, Stephen Summers and his. Uh, Kind of uh, flighty, silly, uh, pop, poppy kind of style. You know, he made the Mummy films mm. with Brendan Fraser. Fraser. He made Deep Rising, in, which was ridiculous. It's just Titanic crossed with aliens. And then he 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 seems he knows his limitations. He made the awful Van Helsing, which is probably best not discussed. But that style of just silly and G.I. Joe with uh, Channing Tatum and it's just silly. He likes to be, and it's like that kind of silliness needs to be applied to Godzilla versus Kong, but they try. But to that's the of, thing is it's, it's, they're they too serious. To, yeah. They, mm. they get all portentous and like, no, this is like if Christopher Nolan made a monster I don't want it film. to be as clunky like, as the 60s, no. 70s Japanese man in a suit thing. Yeah, yeah. They're of their, of their own fun. They are, mm. but you know, we can do better than that now. Yes. Essentially, good story, good characters, characterization, mm. and good effects. It's not surely hard to do a good King Kong and uh, helicopters exploding. Helicopters exploding. You need that. Maybe they need the rock in it and some boobs, or Mark Wahlberg or a Hemsworth or something. Yeah, well, maybe the rock's boobs will do. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit epic, guys. Well, no, that's all right. It's just I've got, I've got to be home by a certain time. Okay. Yep. You've got to punch out. You've got to. David has got bedtime. He's got to travel. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to car. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah fair yeah. enough. Yeah. He's got a. He's got a mission. He's got to go onto a foreign, topple a foreign dictatorship. 
it's a secret. You've got thing. old women in supermarkets to hassle. I've got old women in supermarkets to hassle, <laughs> yell at in the DVD aisle. And it takes us half an hour to get out of your bunker. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the bunkers, elevators don't work very well ever since uh, I had the winches destroyed. Um, so it's just a narrow <laughs> DNA, our way up. DNA-shaped staircase. And after two and a half hours, we need some sunlight. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, it's time to hit the big red button and open the door at the top and crawl up that elevator shaft. Thank you for listening to me indulge and uh, my compatriots, Mark and Damo. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, till next time, people. Keep watching movies and remember that fear is the mind killer. (laughs) 